All right. All right. So welcome to the Praxis Behind the Obscure podcast. Uh, it's been quite a while, but I have a special guest, uh, Levi Shinyo Wolbert. Hope I got that correct. <laughs> yeah, uh, sounds good to me. Oh, great, great. So he is a Fortune researcher uh, interested in the paranormal, esotericism, Buddhism. And so uh, I figured I'd have him on the podcast. And uh, this will probably be a unique one because we, you know, uh, we plan to talk about a pretty uh, diverse range of topics like ufology, uh, Buddhism, uh, occultism, and sort of the intersection of these uh, three topics. So uh, can you introduce yourself and uh, how you got interested initially into esotericism, uh, Buddhism, etc.? Sure thing. Uh, like you said, my name is Levi Shinyo Walbert. Shinyo is my Buddhist Dharma name. I'm a minister with the Bright Dawn Center of Oneness Buddhism, uh, which established uh, off of the legacy of uh, our founder, uh, Gyome Kobose, who uh, he was a Jodo Shinshu priest. Uh, but he had this dream of seeing a kind of American Buddhism, a uh, general Mahayana, which could take root in America, one could say. Uh, and we've been kind of uh, with that program ever since. Um, let's see here. Uh, so that's my Buddhist side. Uh, I had studied uh, philosophy for my undergraduate work and theology for my master's. And uh, that's partly where I would say the more esoteric occult side of some of my research came into being. Uh, you know, like, like I said, I call myself a 14 researcher because uh uh, the nice part about that is that, you know, there's really no uh, official, uh, there's no card to get. There's no degree to get with that. It's just a descriptor of the kind of things I'm interested in. And, you know, I've taken some of the research in that academic style as I had done with, you know, regular theology. Mm -hmm. uh, for those who don't really know what 14 is, I think I was explaining before, you know, it's a it's a fancy, uh, you know, a nice little elitism way of saying paranormal <laughs> research that doesn't imply just ghost hunting, which unfortunately, if you Google things now, that tends to be pretty much synonymous. But uh, for those in the know, it's really uh, the way I, I described it as uh, an, uh, studying anomalous phenomena. Uh, and it comes off of the name of Charles Fort, who was the one of the first people to kind of systematically do that. The nice part also being not necessarily always looking for answers, but just documenting the weird things that happen in the world. Okay, for sure. Sounds very interesting. Um, I know you have a big interest in UFO, uh, UFOs and ufology. And um, right now, obviously, obviously in the media cycles, it's like a hot topic, right? Like you have... Oh, yeah. um, uh, I, I forget the guy's name, but is it General Frazier or... Colonel Frazier or something like that. I think it's Colonel there, Frazier. Yeah, there's yeah. so many names now. Yeah, there's so many names now. It's hard to even say, but it, it really started like from during during when when the pandemic was happening. There's like, you know, the Pentagon admits, that, you know, they have UFOs or you know videos and uh, evidence of UFOs, and then now you have like people coming out and uh, saying that they've seen these things and they've seen even even accounts of like alien bodies and uh, even yeah, the, the nice, like, and the nice little, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. the nice little paper mache uh, aliens we have down in Mexico. Those, uh, yeah, those yeah. are, those... Yeah. oh, there's a lot of fun stuff in it. Right, right, right. 
Um, so yeah, maybe we can discuss a little bit about um, uh, esoteric, kind of the intersection between those two topics of like Western occultism, esotericism, and then uh, ufology in general. Uh, for me, I'm very, very interested in these topics. However, I do always have skepticism when it's like the U.S. government or any sort of government releasing this kind of stuff because I'm just inherently skeptical of the government in general and it's always like what's the agenda here what's the you know yeah like, why, why now and what what what's you know what's the redirect or what have you you know not to immediately start complaining but you yeah. know it's it's one of those things that really drives me wild I had to uh leave a lot of the subreddits and forums and all these things because of uh you know People sitting there going, disclosure, disclosure, it's happening. And, you know, I'm shaking my head going, it's not happening. This is, <laughs> if you study the history of ufology, this this is pretty common in the terms of this kind of bait and switch. This, mm -hmm. it, It's just wild seeing the same people who in one breath will sit there and say, you know, the government's lying. They, you yeah. know, they're trying to, uh, what are they, you know, they're trying to dissuade people. They're trying to do government misinformation acts. And at the same time, they're going, well, we can trust these guys. They're from the government. Right. Kind of going, you know, I, I'm not saying that it's all smoke and mirror, but I am saying sure. that, yeah, there's a group to be skeptical of making, you know, these strange claims. The government's a little bit uh, high on the list, if you wouldn't think. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, that's a, that's definitely a whole topic in itself, right? But oh, of um, yeah, that's a whole topic in itself. But um, in, ter in terms of like occultism and the intersection um, of these two topics, how do, how do you see them being, uh, how do you see them playing off each other or having, do you see them having any sort of relation? Um, what, 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 do, what, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, this might go a little far and, and uh, I, th I think I'm okay with taking this extreme saying, I, I really don't think that there is overall that, part of a line between the occult and the UFO phenomena. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a little, you know, it's a cagey thing to say, and you've got to be careful with it because unfortunately there is this, um, this, this magnetism to pull to one side of the extreme really quickly to go, Oh, all of the UFOs there, you know, the, uh, the classic one, they're the gods of the old world. They're, they're angels, they're demons, they're this and that. And, you know, there's this, easy way of saying either ufos and the the beings related to them mm -hmm. are just the things in occultism that have been documented for however long documentation has been going on or they do the inverse of going well actually the all the weird things in occultism and religion those were just aliens and technology all along and right, I think both right, of those for sure. I've heard both arguments. Yeah, they missed the mark entirely, uh, and mm -hmm. I, I think that's the hard part of talking about this subject is that it's 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 almost a new subject uh, altogether. I think uh, I follow very much in the uh, the thought of uh, Alan Greenfield, if that's a familiar name, uh, mm -hmm. who is uh, both an occultist and a ufologist. I think he calls himself a para ufologist. Uh, but he was really one of the first to kind of make that argument to say, hey, the UFO phenomena and this occult stuff, you know, they're kind of one and the same. I mean, the the same way you summon a, you know, some spirit tends to work in UFOs, too. 
Um, mm, interesting. Kind of his kind of big work is the secret cipher of the Euphonauts, and I mean that's I mean that that's where you get into the whole uh, occultist uh, uh, movement there uh, connection, if you will. Especially Crowley is kind of at the center of it, as he always tends to be. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, you know, you have things like uh, what was the the uh, entity like Lam, I think is the name. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He, the, it was the, like it's very name. interesting. And again, people, people do that thing where, you know, Google the picture of Lam, L-A-M mm-hmm. and uh, people go, Oh, it's a gray alien. Well, it, it's not, especially cause well, that image predates the kind of archetypal gray, uh, you know, image that you see in Hollywood everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's on the Whitley Strieber's cover that, that classic one. I mean, they're so similar and there is something to it, but again, you, you get to that real extreme of just, oh, it's that, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's easy to um, it's easy to just correlate one or the other, but um, it's not really saying there is or not saying there isn't, right? There could be some sort of correlation. So, for example, in your view, do you view these uh, this phenomenon? Are these you know like extra dimensional beings, or are they? you know, some sort of uh, multidimensional entities or are they just other sentient beings with more advanced technology? How do you personally view uh, well, UFOs? I guess that I take both mm-hmm. I take both the safe route and the coward's route out of saying, well, I, I don't really believe any. I just have my suspicions. Sure, um, sure. Mm-hmm. If I had to, you know, throw a dart in there, I, I think that uh, I think John Keel especially used the term ultra terrestrial, which I, I think is a very good way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. That they come from somewhere else, not necessarily from outside of Earth, but beside it, uh, you know, uh, he called these the super spectrum of things. Mm. Uh, I, I tend to follow that idea. Um, I think that it's very interesting that we have very archetypal um, views of these creatures that they, they, they tend to appear to us differently as time goes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's, uh, that's, that's an important factor to it, especially uh, kind of maybe jumping to the, some of the Buddhist notions of it, that Buddhists that find that very easy to understand. Says, okay, the, our perceptions of the world, you know, is illusionary. They're, they're not exactly sure. how the world is, but they ap- appear that way to us at this time. Uh, and that's going a little bit into, uh, you know, Robert Anton Wilson and maybe logic, which is cycling all the way back to one of the first questions, probably where I started in, in, in the idea of esotericism and occultism is, is through mm-hmm. uh, Robert Anton Wilson. And I, I, he's really been a, a sticking force with all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Sort of the high strength, the high strangeness, weirdness, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I think, uh, going back and you know, I keep saying going back cause uh, we're going to go all around. Yeah. The idea, I think, the easiest way to describe them is that through all of these things within occultism, religion, ufology, or is this contact with some kind of higher or different intelligence? Mm-hmm. I think Crowley said predator human intelligence is how he described uh, AWOS and LAM. You know, the, these things yeah. that are similar but not. Mm-hmm. Mm, similar but not. Interesting. Okay. Um Okay, so you you view them personally as uh, use what, what what what's the term that you used ultra terrestrial, uh, right? Yeah, but, ultra but, terrestrial instead of extra. Right. Uh, I'm not right. Mm-hmm. I'm not keen on the idea that they're little you know biological 
you know, uh, creatures that evolved in the same way we did on a planet. And then they just got really smart. And now for some reason, they're beaming over here to harass farmers and people you know, that just it's a great myth. And it's a wonderful sci fi thing. But uh, as the classic saying goes, reality is stranger than fiction. Hmm. Okay. Um, what, what do you see the distinction between like a Praetor, Praetor, I don't know how to exactly pronounce that, but Praetor intelligence, right? Um, yeah, I don't know how to pronounce exactly either. I'm kind of hoping that that's right. It's one of those words you only see in writing often. Right, right, right. Well, what's the distinction you see? Do you see those as more like non-corporal entities or do you see them as, you know, being corporal entities as well? Um, that's kind of the the difficult part with some of these. They certainly seem to be both uh, in certain regards. And, you know, there are some people who have whole classifications of, well, there's this type and there's that type. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, I'm not as confident to sit there and, you know, say that outside of the mythology and history of ufology. But um, it, it seems that there there are some which are maybe I can say incarnate, some which are disincarnate, mm-hmm. uh, maybe some who can choose to be either. Uh, and it's it's a very interesting topic as you as you really dive into it because uh, even um, Whitley Strieber, who is one of the most famous UFO contactees or abductees, he's the one who wrote Communion, the really where we get that very very visceral story about a uh, you know being abducted. Uh, even in later years, he said that he's not wholly sure he ever left his bot you know his his cabin or, or he questioned whether it was. A mental thing that you know is a real experience but you know there's this uh question of the physicality of it all somehow it seems mm. almost both because people who may never leave their houses or, or you know of these kind of stories and 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 uh, accounts you get they mm. still end up with marks on their body right you know there's this, there's this always this kind of play between that physical and non-physical experience which is very very interesting and and again it's it's frustrating because it doesn't fit into our normal perceptions it would be easier if they were little gray men or spirits wholly but the accounts tend to point to something kind of in between if you believe them okay yeah yeah for sure for sure that's that's sort of my uh my view on the matter as well right it's like I don't know. I don't. I don't think it necessarily needs to be one or the other, right? I mean, I think that there's probably a, vi- vi- a wide variety, a big spectrum, a wide spectrum of, um, you know, these sort of phenomena, right? And, oh yeah. Uh, and in terms of like Western occultism, I mean, in my own personal experience, um, you know, I've I worked with Western occultism for many years, and there are certain uh, entities and phenomena that definitely feel like extra dimensional otherworldly right like so for example uh most people report like when i worked with um enochian entities for example right oh yeah it's like so there's a big big difference between working with like planetary angels that feel sort of just more like light energy fractal you know almost non non non-entity like really versus like the enochian angels which feel like these you know almost like aliens or something like that. That's that's how a lot of people uh, describe it, right? So certainly even within the world of like crater intelligences or entities, there's a wide uh, wide variety, right? It's a spectrum. Oh, it's, yeah, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head with just 
describing again, yeah, these things, especially in very uh, in ceremonial magic and you know Enochian magic in particular, you know, they are alien. I'm not saying they are aliens in our classic idea, but they are alien in description. There's something very there's there there's a reality to them to some level when you experience it. Now, I say that as someone who, of course, reads reports, and I, I don't mess with Enochian magic myself mm -hmm. because uh, uh, I think there was, I forget who said it. It was a podcast at one point, uh, some some random one who said, look, it's actually safer to do some of the, uh, you know, uh, uh, demonic, you know, Goetian stuff because it yeah. says, you know, they kind of know how to deal with humans. Angels are scary because they don't know how to do it. You know, they're, they they assume everything is uh, in that kind of mythical talk uh everything is god therefore i don't have to hold back mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah for sure for sure that's yeah, quite interesting um yeah and there seem to be like entities that have their own agenda versus like ones that are just sort of like more like like something sort of like something you can tap into that's already like part of the fractal universe or whatever whatever you want to have you right like qualities per se tapping into this quality, tapping into that quality of energy versus something that's like has its own agenda, complete agenda, right? And maybe wants you to follow that agenda. So yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I find that quite fascinating as well. Um, uh, I remember you also talking about like, there's like Jack Parsons and the Babylon workings, right? So oh yeah, uh, what, what are your views on that? And like, is that, you know, is that related to this phenomenon as well? Oh, I mean, stuff. I, I would think that it seems uh, interesting in terms of, of coincidence, mm -hmm. uh, especially considering, you know, you have Parsons there, uh, you know, and of course, Hubbard there, mm -hmm. uh, the two kind of main uh, perpetrators of the Babylon workings, uh, you know, this kind of ritual they attempted to bring a physical moon child, this uh, bring Babylon into existence as a, as a physical entity as a, as a child and of course they did that in the desert um in this massive ritual and you know it depends on exactly what you want to look at it but either it's a failure maybe a purposeful failure um mm -hmm. but the interesting notion is that the area they did it in not long after you see one of the biggest ufo flaps in history uh, and of course, the one of the most famous, the crash in Roswell, not far away from it, both in terms of time and location. You know, mm -hmm. so in one sense, there's a mythology. Uh, and I say I use the word mythology, not in the same way of a fairy tale, but just uh, this kind of story that we need to use to describe these things. So I, I don't mean that as a, as a pejorative term at all. I actually think I use it very regularly because it's the only way I understand the world is through these kinds of myths. But um, in this mythology, it says, yeah, the Babylon workings might have uh, purposely or unpurposely torn something open and let some things in. Uh, you mm -hmm. get this a lot of weird UFO and uh, uh, strange things in the sky, uh, all kind of centering around that area. <laughs> yeah, it's quite fascinating, isn't it? It's interesting. Um, and it's also interesting if you look at uh, like Parsons is responsible for... Uh, like the like the innovation of like jet fuel and going to outer space, and so that even adds another, you know. Yeah, and then Hubbard. I mean, his Hubbard. whole thing is aliens, space. Right, 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 right. Scientology I mean, and the alien. Just, I forget the name of the uh, 
Zemu and uh... yeah, right, 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 exactly. So it all ties together in a very interesting way, right? Yeah, and he, really, this uh, Hopper was a scary person. I, I, people, we laugh at him a lot because oh, he's these. You know, the idea is always oh, a con man or something. He wrote science fiction, and that's kind of we, we almost inf- infanticide him, uh, infantilize him as mm-hmm. this kind of just tricky guy. But I mean, you know, in terms of of occults, and he was uh, by far an occultist and, and one who I don't really use the term evil to describe people, but I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of his idea was uh, Thelema on its head. It says, "Don't follow your true will; follow my true will," and. <laughs> Right. Unfortunately, he succeeded to a certain degree, and uh, so again, it all it all factors in together. Oh yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, okay, how about um, to kind of like bring it to the early part of the conversation? Now that you know this, um, there's all these UFO disclosures and what have you. What do you see that related to this Western esotericism, or is this sort of like, you know, do you see that as like, is it like a psyop or? Is it somewhere in between? You know, what do you think? Well, for- I mean, I, I think the big thing is first off, I, I don't think that the government actually knows a, as much as they would like people to think they know about the phenomena. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's this uh, pervasive idea that they know what's going on. And I actually think that that would be not knowing would be the scariest thing for the government to come out and say that we don't know what's happening. So it's easier to kind of make this, uh, I think if the PSYOP exists, it's about, we know what's going on, but we need to hide it from the public for safety or this or that. I think it's a more terrifying option for them that they don't. Um, They certainly know something. They they know more than they let on. But uh, I think uh, any dream that we're going to get disclosure uh, is is a false hope because that would also imply that they're going to tell us what it is and that implies they know what it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Uh, but do you have any kind of confidence that they have? I mean, I mean, it's they probably have some sort of information or some sort of, um, or maybe perhaps they have some sort of technology or some sort of, uh, you know, like recently, okay, for example, like they have some sort of video evidence of, you know, un- indescribable things. Do you think that, uh, as you said, probably they're not confident exactly what this is, but also at the same time, uh, you know, you have people coming out saying that they've seen these things, right? Like, like for example, what's your take on like the Bob Lazar uh, story? Oh man, Bob Lazar is an interesting one because it's it's equally unbelievable, but you know, there's there's too much things that do add up. You know, he he's come back time and time with a degree of evidence to his claims. But again, you know, there's some things that, that don't add up, which, I mean, that's a terrible sentence to say, oh, they, it, that, that's a classic way of saying, I agree with some things and I disagree with other things. But um, I, I, I think my kind of opinion on Lazar is that I, I think he believes what he says, but I'm not sure if he was set up to... Um, you know, he was sure, rushed sure. through these facilities really, really quickly. And, you know, he only got a, a glimpse into something. You know, were, were, were they testing, uh, you know, some psyops on him to, for the public? I mean, uh, uh, kind of very classic story about that is that uh, when they were testing uh, some of these stealth planes, I think it was one of the first ones, a plane without a propeller, which uh-huh. was, you know, crazy at the time to think about. 
Uh, it was actually, I think it was Area 51 or somewhere out in that area. And what they would do is, you know, they'd have to fly it around and there were other pilots and, uh, you know, they, they couldn't really tell them just to stop flying that day because that draw too much suspicion. So what did they do? Well, the simplest thing, they uh, threw a monkey mask on the pilot, a really realistic one, and they flew it around. So mm-hmm. uh, the guys who saw it, the pilots in the sky, you know, they're not going to go to the bar and their friends and go, guys, I saw this crazy new plane that had no uh, propeller and also a chimp was flying it. <laughs> yeah, right. Just to, Yeah, exactly. Just to make it. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's the, hilarious. That's hilarious. People um, think that, you know, psyops have to be that clever, but they really don't. It, it's you can tune enough smoke and mirrors. And, you know, I, again, I don't really know enough about Bob Lazar. I've watched a bunch and I've read a bunch and yada yada but it's one of those things that's that's interesting um i could see it both ways um but uh, yeah what do you what do you think are the most credible claims like so you have like the claims of bob lazar you have the claims of uh you know the recent uh ufo whistleblowers and what have you have have there been any that have been like convincing to you or have you have you viewed all of these as sort of like like highly suspicious uh, it's it's a very hard thing. And I, I think I take the same idea of um, one of my favorite theologians was uh, is um, uh, Hearthsorn, uh, Charles Hearthsorn, who's process theologian. And, you know, he, you know uh, not, he's talking about the idea of God and he says, look, I found no argument that is convincing on its own. It's only cumulative arguments that have convinced me. And I, I take a little bit of the same idea with this stuff. Where I don't know if there's one case that is the the you know uh, showstopper that says this is it. This is the this claim is the most credible. It, it's that you said these things over and over again. The accounts and the the abductees and contactees and witnesses. The amount of them over time, and it tends to be people who have a lot at stake. You know, I know that the uh, the what do you call it? The the stereotype is the you know the backwoods uh, redneck who done UFO uh, picked up my you know, <laughs> my cow and Bigfoot came off and ran off with my wife you know but that's that's really right. not who's seeing them. I mean, one of the most famous cases is you know Betty and Barney Hill, and people mm-hmm. forget that they had an incredible amount to lose. They were uh, back then very very prominent uh civil rights activists uh, interracial couple at, at the time of the civil rights movement i mean you know they're the kind of people who had a lot to lose to come forward and still did because of how shattering the uh, encounter was right um, so i think there are a lot of fakes trust me and i think a lot of misidentifications but there's just there's too many accounts for me to say it's all misidentification and hallucination Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. It's just sort of hard to, uh, you know, separate the wheat from the chaff, so to speak, right? With so much, um, you know, just so much, so much out there, right? And especially these days, with you know, almost the nonstop bombardment in the media, right? Yeah, so- and and I'll I'll make a quick comment on the recent, you know, the quote unquote disclosure whistleblower cases, um. I found them very boring. Uh, there was really yeah. nothing more than just claim. Oh, hello. Oops. Can you hear me? Uh, you know, there 
Hello, hello. Oh uh, yeah, you cut out for uh, about ten seconds. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, no worry. I'll I'll restart with that. So where okay. was I? Uh, so, so these nothing more than claims, yeah. Yeah, you know, and that's fine. It, it's an important step. I mean, you know, in the history of actually getting someone, you know, on uh, on record there officially in front of the Congress to whoever they talk to, you know, that's all well and good. But um, if you if you study ufology or the history of it, it's nothing new. Um, you know, the, oh my God, non-human intelligences. Yeah, it's we've since the fifties and sixties. This kind of stuff is been around. Um, here's my kind of take on the whole thing of the recent interest in mass media. We have um, how do I put it? I, I think first off, the cat's too big to keep in the bag. You know, people know UFOs exist now. Even the most ardent skeptic will say they exist, they'll just say they're misidentifications. You know, uh, in the most real, it's unidentified aerial aerial phenomena, UAPs now. Uh, right. And that's fine. But it, it's it's one thing to say they exist and we're investigating. And I think that's where, you know, we can't deny them anymore, especially in the age of the smartphone and everyone has a phone in their pocket. And people are taking videos constantly, pictures constantly. So the government does have to come out and at least acknowledge they exist. Uh, and then I, I think that if there is a conspiracy or a psyop, it's this this kind of very um, soft disclosure. So let's take some of the people who testified. Sure. I don't I don't want to say that they're lying because I, I don't think they have any reason to. At the same time, you know, do I believe it's possible that other people said, all right, let's test the waters. We'll feed these guys some information and let them go public with it. I think that's pretty reasonable to have some suspicions on um even if even if those were lies to them i i think that they probably believe it and i think they're being honest about what they were told but uh again it's it's uh, big claims also require pretty big evidence yeah absolutely absolutely and it's sort of like <laughs> i don't know the power structures don't give up their power you know so easily like that right like it's not right you know, if this was um, threatening to their power, they wouldn't, you know, they'd find a way to shut it down, so to speak, <laughs> as, as we yeah. find, you know, throughout history. It's not like uh, they would, uh, you know, encourage it and spread it in the media and things along those lines, right? Like, it would be, yeah, it, you know, you'd be considered, you know, they would, they'd start trying to cancel these people or say they're rapists or racists or whatever you know oh, whatever oh get them to shut up you know because it's a threat to their power you know i mean that's the thing it's like you know there's threat to political power people end up jumping you know quote unquote jumping out of you know 10 story windows and suicides with right. bullets to the back of their head you know when, when it comes to just earthly political power that's commonplace but suddenly you know the 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 biggest secret of all time if it was real about there are other intelligences things are real you know well, that's that's okay. They, they can they they can get away with that. You know that that that's also what kind of irks me. Um, yeah. At the same time, if there are people trying to expose it, they probably would be dead, and we wouldn't know about them. So if they're doing their you know a good job at keeping it silent, then they're doing that. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I wouldn't know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I uh, I definitely agree with that. Um. Uh, what was I gonna say? Yeah, I think that I was I was initially asking you like, what do you, 
Uh, what, what do you see as like the most credible claims, if any of them do you, do you consider? Were, were there were there any claims that you really thought like, wow, that's uh, you know, that's um, I don't know what would you say, believable or interesting or seems you know different than the other ones because like recently it's really been mostly just claims right like or maybe perhaps evidence have you seen like is there like videos you've seen or um, uh, things along those lines that were kind of persuasive to you i mean really though some of the videos released by the government even about the the tic tacs you know making these insane aerial movements i mean i, I think that's actually fairly significant that you have it through official channels now. Mm. Um, and of course, uh, the problem with government videos is anyone, if they want to, can say PSYOP, alter, yada, yada. But I mean, these are things that other people have documented, especially the Tic Tacs, the, the, these radical movements that defy most physics we understand mm. um, with crafts, if you want to call them that, or objects, which, you know, no part... Oh my goodness! Propulsion, no, no external anything. That's pretty spooky if you think about it. Um, other than that, I mean, you know, there's I've not seen a you know a video of an alien uh, yeah. uh, that that ever has been reported. There's always a million ones that are really wonderful hoaxes or CGI projects that were never intended to be a hoax but just got disseminated through the grapevine. Uh, there was a really you know, silly one about like the the I think it was the Vegas alien that was just kind of a, a blur or maybe it was a propane tank. I think they ended up looking it up. But um, oh, my goodness. And then recently there was this uh, the one that I thought was funny was that everyone was really losing their minds about this uh, supposed footage of uh, an airliner being abducted by three UFOs into a portal. Uh huh. Uh, and, you know, people were really going crazy, going, guys, you couldn't do this. You couldn't fake this. And really wonderful thought and a lot of analysis. And then one person, you know, the one guy goes, actually, I recognized that portal animation from a video game from the 90s. And they found the exact one. And, of course, it was a fake. But, uh, uh, I, again, yeah. I really feel like these the stories are the things that get me very interested, mm -hmm. um, you know. Again, the Betty and Barney Hill one was very interesting. The, she had residue on the dress that still is unidentifiable. Mm -hmm. uh, there are just some of these things that are so strange that, uh, you know, if if it was fake to a certain degree, you you would think that they're, they, they would be better written. I guess is that the easiest way of putting it? There's some things are so weird that they're mm -hmm. coming out with that nobody does believe except for us weird people with our tinfoil hats. But you know that almost yeah. gives me more credibility to a certain a uh, certain level. Um, right, right, right. Um, there's always been that argument too. It's like like we we recovered some sort of alien technology, and we you you know we study you know, some, the governments, the secret government sort of like studies this technology. That's why we've been like, you know, we go from uh, riding stagecoaches to like, you know, going to outer space and like yeah, 70 right. years, something like that. And like internet and all this crazy technology that just sped up, like, you know, how did, how did technology, how did our advances in that regard speed up, you know, so exponentially quick within such a, short period of time right there's always been that argument that you know 
it's due to recovered alien technology or some sort of contact or things along these lines, right? Yeah, and that's that's one of those ones where you know, I think when you first get into ufology, it feels very convincing. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, I think the answer really is just humans are smart. And once we get compiled technology and ways of disseminating that technology and sharing it and critiquing it, you know, massive innovation happens. Um, it's the same critique I always have of the ancient astronaut theory, where no matter what, humans can't just be clever and cool and smart. You know, it's we know how the pyramids were built. We knew we know how the Nazca lines could happen. Uh, you know, we we know how to use ladders and wenches and pulleys. And yeah, you have to throw a huge amount of man labor at something. We can do amazing things. I don't think you you need aliens. Uh, I mean, if if it was proven the pyramids were built from the top down, maybe I'd give the the idea some credence. But they were built from the bottom up. Right, um, right, right. I think if anything, uh, I, I kind of like more the notion of. Uh, human progress in terms of spirituality and of psychology and kind of the, the human spirit or zeitgeist being influenced by these uh, higher intelligences. That that one I find more credible because uh, we sure. also are kind of really dumb in terms of just always trying to kill each other. Right, right, right. I mean, that's sort of like most religions are, you know, um, they're sort of um, uh, founded in that regard, right? It's like, you know, they... Um, for example, a prophet hears the voice of God, or for example, in Islam, you have what uh, is it? Uh, Angel Gabriel appears mm-hmm. to Muhammad, right, and reveals the speech of God, the Quran, right, and it's so it's this contact with this, um, <clears throat> you know, this entity, right, and then um, you know other religions too. Even in you know Buddhism, you have you know in Vajrayana deities or. Uh, Buddha's appearing to, uh, you know, different, different people and transmitting these teachings. Right. And so, um, and pretty much, you know, every tradition has something along these lines, right. These sort of revelations by whether they're called angels or whether they're called uh, Buddhas or uh, what, what have you, right. This is huge in like every single religion pretty much. Right. And, you yeah, know, but, of course, not even mainstream religion, but also like small esoteric, Western esoteric, uh, you know, uh, what would you say? Western esoteric traditions, basically any sort of spiritual tradition has this phenomenon, right? And then also you have the UF, the alien phenomenon. And, uh, and so it is very easy to see like a parallel, right? Like there are, we're talking about some sort of extra dimensional entities or angels or bodhisattvas or Buddhas that are here to, uh, in all these traditions at least, a lot of times they're portrayed here to um, further or advance spiritual progress of humanity, right? Yeah, and especially in the esoteric case, I mean, you see this uh, very common uh, notion of, uh, I think Blavatsky would have called them, you know, the secret chiefs or the ascended mm-hmm. masters, or I mean, they, they really function as bodhisattvas too, beings who have trying to help guide humanity or people to enlightenment, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then a lot of the even the alien lore or UFO and, you know, there's the idea of, well, the, these beings from another planet, they want to help us. Um, and there are some who don't want to help us. And there's this kind of mythic battle that always goes on between those two forces of uh wanting to progress humanity or to um 
slow it down in terms of spiritual development. Right, right, right. Exactly, exactly. And uh, yeah, I mean, maybe we can we can also bring this around to like Buddhism. So you are you had mentioned earlier that you are um, an ordained minister. Is that right? Did I get that right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Minister. Okay. So, we we use the term especially within uh, kind of going off of that tradition of uh, Jodo Shinshu, which is where our our um, my group kind of has its spiritual roots. Uh, and of course, disclaimer to all this, all of this UFO when it called that's all my. Uh, for that's the 14 side. I don't want to represent the organization or my uh, myself as saying oh, this is what we do. It's just, I think I'm kind of the weird one out and liking all of this. <laughs> right, right, right. It's your own personal interest and uh, your own passions and what have you. But um, yeah, I would say uh, also like, uh, although in Buddhism, like I was saying earlier, you know, you have um, there are you know these whatever you want to call them, right? The Buddhas or Dakinis or revelatory beings that come and reveal these teachings or cycles or practices and, you know, scriptures and tantras and what have you. Right. And so, oh, yeah. Yeah. So how do you, how do you, uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about like, and even there's like, uh, there's even sutras and there's even uh, whole cycles of teaching that claim to be almost alien to right? Like even like the Dzogchen teachings claim that they're taught in 13 different, you know, universes or something like that or you have claims on like the lotus sutra i think you're talking about um uh about like alien worlds or something like that right yeah that's buddhism is is very fascinating in terms of this discussion of you know uh, extraterrestrial ultra terrestrial ufo because as a tradition most buddhists are just in 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 general wouldn't bat an eye at the idea that there is life beyond this earth Right. Uh, yeah, of course there is. Uh, no, uh, you know that that's not a crazy thing, or that that life or sentience interacts with us. That's mm -hmm. very classic in the, almost every tradition. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of taken for granted, and, and Buddhism always had a cosmology that fit this very well. It says yes, there are other world systems. Whether you want to think of that in terms of galaxies or parallel worlds or something else as the buddha talked about these very directly mm -hmm. um now of course I, I always take that a grain of salt of saying oh it's it's in a way that we humans can understand and interpret mm -hmm. which tends not to be uh truth as it is but truth filtered through you know illusion and ignorance but it's okay. useful it's what we 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 need to have before we get to that uh true awareness so yeah, Buddhism, I think, is, is such an interesting tradition is that it really has the most, in my opinion, as a Buddhist, uh, with a little yeah. bit bias, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it has the most potential for being one to be very accepting of these things. Um, right. mm -hmm. It yeah. makes room for them. It makes room for them. Yeah, exactly. And not only does it make room for them, I mean, it mentions them, um, you know, it mentions them in various places, right? Yeah, pre pretty explicitly in some regards. I mean... You know, again, I, I I caution anyone to this idea of these mentions in ancient texts of going, oh, they're aliens, or aliens sure. are just the gods. But again, there there are some interesting parallel. Like I said, the Lotus Sutra in the I believe the twenty third chapter. You know, the Buddha is about to preach uh, an amazing sutra that's very rare, and another Buddha, another world system, you know, uh, catches on and says to a student, "Hey, you better go." 
uh, go down to earth, go to the this this realm because the, there's going to be a, a sutra taught that's very rare. And there's this really weird detail about it where this Buddha says, you know, but the people on that world system, they're really small and ugly. So don't offend yeah. them. You know, sure. and it's just it's little things like that. It says, okay, they look different. And then uh, the student who has uh, an incomprehensible name to my uh, uh, English mouth, mm-hmm. um, you know, goes and he first psychically goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, they said, oh, you should actually come here. And then he goes and he comes down in, in what's described as a, a flying tower, which mm. makes this incredible noise as it lands and he comes out and the Buddha talks to him and he can shapeshift. And, mm. you know, and then he goes, he listens to the Buddha, says, thank you. And then climbs back in his giant tower and flies back off. Right. right. Yeah. And of course, again, anyone who's versed in the Lotus Sutra understands there's so much symbolism and hidden meaning packed in. That it, it is a simplistic view, but again, it's an interesting one. And having that parallel with the modern ufological uh, mythology. Uh, so again, but again, that, it's it's not even a, an interesting chapter in the Lotus Sutra compared to some of the other ones. So it's just accepted as as is. Mm. Yeah, quite quite interesting, right? Yeah, it's not. Uh, I like what you said. Like it's not um, like for a Buddhist to say to tell a Buddhist person like they're aliens or other worlds or other entities it's just like yeah of course right it's kind of like it's not um it doesn't take much convincing right you know (laughs) yeah it's kind of take it for take it for granted that yeah that's fine i mean Uh i think it's kind of a good thing because the uh, the buddhist answer tends to be that's great but how is it going to help you escape samsara in suffering and and dissatisfaction uh, and I think it's a valid criticism and why the Buddha didn't talk about it at length because it's all right, that, that's great and all, but um, so what? Right, right, right. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And, uh, you know, obviously having the Buddhist view that all beings are sort of interconnected and, you know, there's not beings that are separate of, you know, they're, they all lack inherent existence. In other words, they're, you know, dependent origination. It's not like, there's a being that's separate from you that's separate from everything else right and that tends to be Mm -hmm. that that tends to be an interesting experience you you have for people who have positive uh contact experiences about this kind of ego death and uh, Mm -hmm. awareness of unity Uh, of course for those who have a very uh, bad experience it tends to be the opposite but again not Mm -hmm. all higher intelligences are good uh, even in the Buddhist tradition, there are many of beings that are uh, n- not so happy with each other. Right, 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 right. Yeah, for sure, for sure. You have the the warring sort of um, like the devas or the asuras. Yeah, the asuras that are like always at war with each other and jealous and spiteful, right? And they're you know, yeah, yeah. Those yeah. who uh, tend to align themselves with Mara rather than the Buddhas. Right, right. Absolutely, absolutely. So you've studied a lot, you know, you study theology, philosophy, <clears throat> Western esotericism, uh, paranormal activity. What specifically drew you to um, uh, Buddhism and then also to your specific tradition? Maybe you can talk a little bit about your specific tradition as well. Sure, of course. Uh, let's see. I mean, my, my story of encountering Buddhism is it's not terribly exciting. Mm-hmm. excuse me there <clears throat> but um i was in a, a school a very uh strange school who were uh 
we did art. Um, so I had a major in high school, um, right. so art major, and we had to do uh, we did college level art history as a requirement. And so the nice part is every time we moved into a new culture of art history, you know, we would try to understand especially the religion because a lot of ancient art tends to be religious focused. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think around 14, my class had uh, were shown the PBS documentary, The Buddha, which mm-hmm. is still a very good documentary. It was just a uh, very simple, uh, but quite beautifully uh, presented story of, you know, Siddhartha Gautama Shakyamuni Buddha's life. Um, you know, it, it went over the, the core concepts uh, and it, it really spoke to me. Something about it stuck with me very heavily. And I think partly that was because I was going through a kind of uh, uh, deconversion, lock, lack of faith in terms of Christianity to which I was kind of self-initiated into. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, my, neither of my parents were religious. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, my family, you know, everyone was Christian, but only in a kind of cultural sense of that's just what you did. Right. Uh, I was never raised religion, but I just, I was fascinated by it. And I, I got into it myself and uh, got out of it myself and then back into a different one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's, that's where I found Buddhism originally. And I said, you know, uh, of course I only had limited access being 14 and, uh, and I, I just found anything I could. Uh, and uh, the easiest answer is that I think, you know, by the time I was around you know, uh, 17, I just kind of looked back and said, look, I'm meditating, I'm attempting to read the material, I'm listening to talks, I'm doing this and doing that. I guess I'm a Buddhist now. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it, it just ended up happening. Um, mm. And of course, I was still pretty naive in that. I, I kind of fell into the... Uh, the whole notion of secular Buddhism at one point, because it was so uh, widely marketed, uh, right. Google Buddhism, if you will. Um, right. And, you know, it made sense um, to me at the time, but I was very lucky in that, you know, I started studying philosophy and then, you know, kind of the more metaphysical uh, ontology became my focus. So I, I kind of abandoned uh, some of the more, um, materialistic views I had about uh, metaphysics and moved to some other ones, which opened me up. But a mm-hmm. uh, long story short with that is that eventually I found a small sangha in my college town and it was run by someone who knew my teacher and you know, got me connected there. And I signed up for the program and uh, I'll, I'll use my the time here to brag a little bit. I was the youngest one ever accepted, but uh, <laughs> oh, nice, I, I was I was 17 when I sent it in, and then 18 when actually the start date of training began. But um, mm-hmm. uh, I say that, but I was very very lucky. Uh, some people wrote some very very kind recommendations on my behalf because uh, normally they 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 don't uh, like to do that, uh, you know, especially train someone that young. And I I I, I wouldn't personally, but hey, I got lucky. Um, <laughs> Right, right, right. Um, what, what, uh, what are like uh, the unique traits of your specific tradition? Because I don't know much about your tradition. Sure. I mean, you know, we, uh, my teacher uh, Koyoko Bose, who's mm-hmm. since passed on now, mm-hmm. um, he, you know, was the son of a Shinshu priest, um, and you know, he he had studied that. Uh, he also had studied Zen as well, which is kind of a unique thing, and so had his father Gilmeka Bose. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gyome, when he he founded an independent temple here in the United States, the Temple of Chicago, um, he was he founded, and uh, he was one of the first to have a, a zendo uh, mm-hmm. in a Shinshu temple. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Zen and Shin tend to be kind of marketed or, or 
understood as opposites of each other, but uh, he he blended them in a very beautiful way of this this notion of you know um, other power and self power being you know self power is the true self of which is other power you know a very beautiful way of going about it. Mm-hmm. So I, I explored more of the Zen side for a while, and I think especially over the pandemic, um, the Jodo Shinshu side really stuck with me, and and I kind of. Uh, have been very um how do you put it uh, that that it's the tradition i found my home in uh, and i could go on about my particular lineage it has some interesting stuff but i mean you know i i have a tendency to ramble if anyone hasn't picked up on that <laughs> no it's interesting it makes an interesting uh um listening you know because the uh, buddhism itself is just so uh I mean, the amount of tr- the different lineages and the traditions, they're so vast and they're so numerous, right? And they all have, oh my their own, you know, characteristics or, uh, you know, un- unique um, emphasis and practices and uh, teachers and what have you, right? Uh, so yeah. I personally find it very interesting. And I, I also find it, it's like uh, what I, f- I always find it interesting, like what drew you to that specific like lineage or teacher. So for example, it said like the Buddha taught 84,000 dharmas for the, you know, 84,000 different predispositions and karmic, yeah. uh, karmic um, dispositions of people. Right. So I always find it interesting to hear like, why, so why, why was somebody drawn to, let's say like the Thai forest tradition or Theravada in Burma or, you know, Zen or Vajrayana or what have you. Right. Yeah, I guess th- how what I would say for myself is that I, I was practicing Zen, uh, and I I had even found a small Rinzai Zen temple with a with a real priest there, which is not a, a common thing to find in the middle of uh, the rural East Coast of America. Uh-huh. Uh, so I got lucky, and you know, I, I have nothing bad to say about. It. I think Zen is an amazing tradition. Rinzai, uh, I really uh, have some love for. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, it it's I guess the easiest way. It's funny to say it's hard. It's difficult. <laughs> it's incredibly right. difficult. Right. And, right. you know, right. even just trying to do it, I, I think it and I think think the pandemic, especially of just understanding how powerless I was to mm. prevent or do anything. I kind of went crazy during it because of it. I, Shinshu and Pure Land Buddhism, mm-hmm. this idea of like, look, you just have to let go and in a way that is is saying look you are powerless that's completely true you know your ego will always jump in front of you the moment you think that i'm you know an enlightened buddha oh that (laughs) might be your ego saying so uh and i found the kind of humility in that and especially in the character of shinran Mm -hmm. uh, who's the founder of of, of jodo shinshu um Mm -hmm really, really uh, familiar to my own self and to say, hey, look, it's okay to sit here and say, I don't know. I don't know how to go about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually somehow by constantly admitting that and saying like, yeah, I'm a bamboo, a foolish being, it's actually easier to practice than it ever was to me. Uh, not having the pressure to say you've got to achieve can show now you know this is your one shot uh you know this human life is precious you know says hey look just say the name you know and the more you can kind of let go of that ego and that 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 striving the more it actually comes and and that was my experience um 
yeah. the, the, the very humanness of it all to me felt very uh, true. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. That sounds, um, that's great because, you know, I, I feel like people eventually find the tradition that they're meant to be at too. Right. It's like, and, and then, and that to be said that each um, it's not like there's nothing to be learned from other traditions too. Right. Like for example, uh, a lot of people, they find themselves based in one tradition, but you know, you learn a lot. There's a lot to be learned from Zen or from any other uh, tradition you can encounter taking teachings from, you know, other traditions and applying those practices uh, uh, can be quite beneficial while having your own, you know, base as well. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think that it's kind of a funny, um, I don't know, the conclusion I end up came coming to because I, I love Buddhism. I love the different traditions, whether it be Mahayana or Theravada or Vajrayana. I mean, they, they're, they're fascinating. And there was, there was a struggle I had at one point going, you know, uh, especially in Shinshu, there's this idea of exclusive practice of the, reciting the Buddha's name. And, you know, I said, well, I, I love all these other traditions and I, I want to participate in them when I have the opportunity. Is that going against it? Or, you know, I kind of str struggled with that. And then I, I came to this conclusion that says, look, actually, I, I realize every time I attempt something that uh, within a different tradition, even if I have some sort of success, mm -hmm. I, I come to that realization of, look, I don't really have what it takes to go the full way. Uh, sure. I don't know if I really feel I have the way to penetrate the, uh, the, 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 the Buddha Dharma through meditation or ritual. And somehow that acknowledgement actually has me entrust in uh, the name of the Buddha, the Nabutsu, even more so. So I found that no matter what I do, whatever practice, it all ends up being the Nabutsu at the end for me. And that is to say, for me. Uh, yeah, I'm amazed sure. by the dedication yeah. others have. And I, I absolutely think that, hey, if you can do it, my my God, Godspeed. Right, right. Maybe you can share with the listeners, uh, what is Nimbutsu? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, there's, there's so much stuff you throw out there. So the, 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 the Nimbutsu uh, or uh, the name of the Buddha is the central practice of all pure land Buddhism, which is this idea with that uh, a Buddha, a great Buddha named Amitabha or Amida in the Japanese pronunciation had made a vow, uh, actually made 48 vows, but the most uh, important of them in the Shinshu tradition is the 18th, which essentially says, if anybody uh, thinks on my name and says it even, even one time, uh, they will be reborn in my pure land. Uh, mm. This, this, realm outside of samsara which is kind of like a training school a graduate school that you can mm -hmm. go and be reborn in and learn directly from a buddha mm -hmm. uh, and that is simply the recitation of namu amida butsu mm -hmm. and again it is hard to believe it's uh somehow both the easiest practice possible but mm -hmm. often said the most difficult because it's hard to believe who really would right. uh, and again it's it's just as difficult as any other practice Mm -hmm. Yet it's not. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. It, it's kind of this, uh, I've always said, I think uh, Pure Land Buddhism is uh, esoteric uh, because they tell you the secret right out in the open. There's no hidden secret anywhere to it. But the fact that it's so you know, difficult to comprehend, it almost lends this esoteric uh, uh, investigation into it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay, interesting. Yeah, so that being your main practice, 
uh, obviously that's so the main practice is the recitation, right? Of the, yeah, and saying of out the, loud, Namo Mirabutsu. Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh -huh. And so, uh, but but also, uh, as you mentioned, though, you uh, at least your teacher did you also incorporated other practices like Zen and other um, uh, like that's the foundation, that's the main practice. But there are other uh, other other like I mean meditation and. Um, yeah, I mean, I still will do uh, zazen things like zazen. that. I mean, actually, a, a lot of a lot of Zen uh, Shinshu people in the U.S. have started adopting uh, meditation, and you know, some of them will uh, view it not necessarily as the way to enlightenment, but as, for instance, uh, a way to stop that cluttered thoughts, to focus on the name, to uh, do what's called deep listening, listening for the call of the Buddha. You know, so there's there's always more to it i think and and any practice i think with this kind of entrusting can be nimbutsu uh my teacher koyokobose was amazing at this where he would would somehow transform anything into a buddhist teaching and practice you know he he had this whole thing about toilet gashos every time you sit on the toilet you become grateful because my god imagine if you didn't have it and you know, everything about gratitude and constantly uh, being aware of that. Uh, and I think that's part of that deep listening, uh, deep, deep feeling and listening of the compassion of uh, what the Shinshu and Pure Land people call other power, power beyond the self. Mm, yeah, that's beautiful. It's beautiful. Are there any um, uh, major uh, um, sutras that your tradition focuses on? Oh, for me, yeah, they're just, uh, each one has their name, the longer sutra mm -hmm. the shorter sutra the uh, uh, uh amitaya sutra the mm -hmm. three pure land sutras is what they're called uh mm -hmm. that's the easiest way you can find them uh, and they're actually quite small uh all things mm -hmm. considered okay uh, uh so they're pretty short overall so they're uh it's common to like recite some of the shorter ones right it's as part of a practice here right yeah so um, that's i mean i think a pretty classic um one of the ones, at least in our tradition, with uh, the Bright Dawn and where we came from, uh, we often recite what's called the Tambutsuge or the Sanbutsuge, depending on which of uh, the two bigger sects you follow, uh, which is just a smaller passage of a song and praise of the Buddha, which is actually a, a, a Amitabha Buddha or Amida Buddha, who is the one praising a different Buddha. But this is when they were still a student. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's it's uh it's interesting because it's one of those where while reciting it you take that spot you 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 become the reciter dharmakara bodhisattva um uh, even in our tradition there was this uh, wonderful quote um let me see if i can find who said it but you know he, he said uh i find that um, amita saves me by becoming me so there there's this again it's a simple practice, but there's something to it that continuously gets deeper and deeper. Uh, there's no mm. secrets, but you know, there's a lot to explore. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you mentioned the founder is uh, Shinran. Is that correct? Yeah, founder of Jodo Shinshu, which uh, yeah. was never meant to be its own sect by any means. Mm. Uh, more so, it, it was Shinran believed that he was simply promoting the teachings of his teacher, Honen. Uh, mm -hmm. But again, he uh, he did so much uh, explaining, and uh, he was a very analytical, logical kind of guy uh, that it's just uh, his. Uh, it became known as Jodo Shinshu, or the 
true sect of Pure Land Buddhism. But uh, I've always hated that that translation because it makes it sound <laughs> like the other ones are false. But uh, it, it's yeah. true in terms of Shinran saying, this is what I know to be true. You know, he's saying that about himself. And, and that's it's not a disparaging title for others. Yeah, right. For sure. For sure. Um, are there any stories like I'm sure um, I'm sure you've probably read a, a bit about Shinran and like his life is, uh, you know, uh, d- different different stories about him. Are, are there any interesting ones that uh, stuck out or come to mind? Um, yeah, I mean, he was a fascinating individual. Mm-hmm. Um I especially the one where I mean he studied for twenty some years as a as a very dedicated monk on Mount Hye, and he just uh, felt himself to be completely inadequate to be able to achieve enlightenment on himself. So he he left and he uh, stayed at a temple in front of a statue of Kanon or Avalokiteshvara Guanyin. Um, you know, had this beautiful dream where Kanon. Uh, uh, essentially came to him and said, look, if you can't keep the monistic codes, I will appear as uh, as a woman and yeah. uh, uh, marry you. I, I will sleep with you, essentially, is what she says. And the saying says, if that's what it takes, uh, and that kind of became this uh, uh, thing where Shinran married and uh, partly was because of the Shinshu people that says, hey, look, priests in Japan end up actually being able to have families and marry. Mm-hmm. Um uh, and it was a it was a very very interesting one that I always found uh, again uh, compassion even after breaking the uh, you know it was supposed to be these very very solemn vows. Uh, yet mm. of course uh, the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas are infinitely compassionate and they'll take even a poor bastard like Shinran. <laughs> was it, he was a poor bastard? Oh huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean he was uh, very. A, t- a tough life in many regards, but uh, he persevered. I mean, he knew himself. He he said something along the lines of, you know, uh, one of my favorite quotes by him was, uh, a paraphrase, he said, I-, I lack even little good and compassion, uh, and yet I teach for fame and fortune. You know, he very lamented on himself that no matter what, he just, he, he was so, not down on himself, but he was critical of his own nature and he was honest. And I said, if I ever have a teaching position, you know, with a with a dedicated office, I'm I'm gonna get that uh, that quote and uh, and hang that above my office, so no one uh, no one thinks I'm some holy teacher. Right. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. I like that. So, uh, how, what are your uh, specific like roles in the terms that you said you mentioned that you were involved in the tradition? Uh, what um, do you do you teach? Uh, do you have like your song or do you lead a teachings or do you lead specific uh, practices or what are, what are your specific roles? For the most part, I mean, I don't, I don't have a temple or a song of myself here, mm-hmm. but uh, I've been working. I'm a, um, once our, uh, teacher, Koyo Kobose passed away. It was his instructions that he didn't name a Dharma heir. He wanted the organization and that legacy to be continued through a council. Uh, and one that was democratically elected of the people he had trained and ordained. And I was very honored to be voted on to the council. Uh, so now I'm part of that. I'm working on the curriculum to the educational program because the Bright Dawn is kind of a, understand it's like a special seminary, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we do distance learning and, you know, the virtual stuff. Uh, often we have people come to the sanctuary in California. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm doing that. I teach 
during that uh, those training periods, and uh, I'm working hard on uh, trying to revitalize some of the curriculum. Uh, some books have gone out of print. Some there's better material nowadays, and there's a lot to it. But I, I tend to teach and, and do things when uh, I'm kind of called for it. Uh, part of the program and uh, my teacher and his teachers ideal was he said you know they didn't envision uh buddhism in america in in every regard to say that they didn't imagine a temple in every block they kind of said look we need people on the ground who can fill in the niches of their community in whatever way they needed to mm -hmm. uh so uh sometimes we use the term lay minister mm -hmm. uh and that that's kind of an internal title because people mistake that like a lay pastor like an untrained unordained person Mm -hmm. uh, but really, the idea was that we're not above a congregation; we're part of it, and that was always their their view. Um, you know, uh, especially in that kind of Shinshu uh, idea of it, it, says, "Look, I'm a minister not because I'm special. In fact, I I have more of a responsibility to know myself as a foolish being." <laughs> yeah. Okay, I like that. That's good. That's humbling. So, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I do a lot of interfaith work too. So I, I try to get into the local community and, and work with that because I, I think it's an important thing we need, especially in this day and age. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I feel like, um, uh, especially in America, it almost feels like there's no, I mean, me living here in Asia, there's like a cohesive culture and respect. And, you know, sometimes going back to America, it's just like you feel like there, there is no any sort of cohesion. And it's like everyone's at each other's throats and there's like violence and you know, there's a lack of respect and a lack of uh, compassion towards um, towards each other, right? So, for example, here in Korea, everybody views themselves as Korean. Obviously, they're part of the same group culture, and there's respect for your fellow Koreans and your country. Whereas in America, it's almost like fuck that other guy. You know, it's this like lack of um, any sort of like cohesive uh, societal norm or culture or like group right because everyone's just out for everyone's individual and part of a different clan or group so it is good to you know if, if there can be compassion and the sort of the uh the bodhisattva ideals um and teachings sort of um uh what would you say taught to you know people it doesn't even need to be in like religious terminology but just general guidelines for behavior uh that would be great right yeah, I mean, it's it's a dream uh, where uh, America is at a very interesting and tumultuous place. That is yeah. that is for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Um, uh, I always think about like with uh, advancement of AI, right? It's like if if, uh, you know, what qualities is it going to take on? Is it going to take on the qualities of like the individualistic, liberal, democratic, American qualities or like shall we program the bodhisattva ideals into some sort of this kind of this kind of being you know yeah because if it's like the first one i feel like we're all screwed right like, yeah it's yeah. it's a very uh oh boy it says my internet's unstable can you still hear me my oh, back yes, now yes okay <laughs> wonderful uh yeah it's it's uh it, and then there's the always that little uh issue of you know unfortunately uh these the bodhisattva bodhisattva ideals also needs subtlety, which is something that I think AI doesn't really have yet. Uh, it's it tends to be a very black and white morality when you do have these things put in place, uh, and it's it's hard. I think I think really that, that that's the big critique I have of most cultural stuff in America is that 
there's there tends to be no nuance or right. you know interest in subtleties. Mm -hmm. uh, there tends to be a very uh, yes and no, black and white. Um, something's wrong or something's right view, and it, it's that's something that I don't even know. How, I don't know how we could possibly fix, but you know we'll keep trying. Sentient yeah. beings aren't innumerable. We vow to save them all. Paradoxes are nothing new to Buddhists. Exactly. Exactly. That's for sure. All right. Well, uh, I think we've covered most of the topics uh, that we laid out, but uh, do you have any you know, final thoughts or um, suggestions? If there's any links you want me to include uh, in the show notes, I can do that as well. Um, you know, I, I can say a final thought on the whole thing tying Buddhism and the UFO alien phenomena together that I think is an interesting connection. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, that is one thing that we see with a lot of this is this kind of fear about these beings or intelligences. They're so much more advanced than us. They're so much this or that. What do they want? I think Buddhism has a similar answer to that. Mm -hmm. It says, look, they're these things, whatever they are, humans have a special place in this world. Within the Buddhist world, we are uniquely able to become Buddhas. We have something that even the Deva, you know, the Asura, the these very advanced, powerful beings fear or right. desire. And I think that's the same with a lot of these strange intelligences. Um, mm -hmm. again, Alan, maybe this is be my, my plug for us. And so I, I do draw someone's inspiration, you know, Alan Green, Greenfield and his book, the secret cipher of the euphonauts or the complete secret cipher as it's been re-released. Mm -hmm. It ends on a light note. Uh, and I think I have a little passage here. Um, something along the lines of what I cycle it, um, Oh, uh, he talks about the mythology that we constantly see. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it shows up in some of the literature. Uh, the jealous gods of Genesis that have gained wis uh, that saw we've gained wisdom from the tree of knowledge. Mm -hmm. We might eat the tree of life and thus become gods ourselves. The story of the Titan Prometheus bringing fire from the heavens to humanity, for which the gods punished him in unimaginable ways. Um, you know, the Norse myths of the very mortal gods preparing for cosmic combat against frost giants and their allies. All these stories in ultra-terrestrial terms tell us of beings and forces, human or close to human, that have defied and conquered thousands of worlds and repeatedly put the evil to the fight. And again, within Buddhism, we see the same thing. The bodhisattvas were born in the human realms in the Saha world. And became Buddhas and Bodhisattvas through that. You know, uh, there's a lot of fear, and I don't think we need to have that fear. Being human is weird. It's scary, and we have a potential for a lot of good. Uh, I, I think that in a world full of huge events and things, it's important to remember we have that potentiality. You know, go forth, practice whatever good magic hopefully you do. Um the Dharma, whatever you have that is positive and good, uh, you know, I think these things fear us more than they uh, we need to fear them. Uh, mm -hmm. I think in Greensfield's book, he, they say, uh, uh, 
like hungry ghosts, they they drink our fear, but to drink our love is death onto them and their kin, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, a badass quote that always stuck with me. So so I check out the rest of the book. It's wild and weird, but um, mm-hmm. anyway, I'm at the point where I know I'm rambling on when I start quoting things directly. Um, so I'm going to leave it at that, but uh, I don't really have much social media or anything yet. I probably should eventually, but who knows? Maybe one day. Yeah, for sure. And what was the title of the Greenfield book that you recorded? Oh, uh, secret, the complete secret cipher of the euphonauts. Now, if anyone is interested in the idea between ceremonial and Western magic and uh, occultism, I would recommend that book. And of course, there's a series which most people discover it through called Hellier, which again is one of the most remarkable paranormal high strangeness 14 documentaries out there as a series. You can find it on YouTube. Yeah, that was great. I watched Hellier. And yeah. uh, also, he recently released a movie by the title of Unbinding, a documentary. Yes, the the New Kirks, the, 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 t- the whole team. Uh, amazing documentary, too. I, I'm a big fan. So uh, I, I, I'll start nerding out about them if we keep going. <laughs> okay, for sure. Well, that was great. I really enjoyed this podcast. Uh, thanks for coming on. And I'll, uh, I'll include uh, links to the the book that you had mentioned uh, in the show notes. And until next time. Until next time. Thank you for having me.